It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the show Court Elliott. Court is the Vice President of Corporate Communications and Sponsorship and Community Engagement at IGM Financial. IG Empowerment, your tomorrow, is uh, an arm that they have going, and it's going to focus on uh, four groups that are going to be served best by additional education and resources to help build financial knowledge. And that includes Indigenous peoples, New Canadians, seniors, and youth. And they're going to be working with community partners as well as organizations along with uh, their employees and clients. And IG Wealth Management is going to continue to develop and execute seminars, events, and programs focused on increasing the financial confidence of those key groups. So it's a welcome, it's a pleasure to have uh, Court on the show. So welcome. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. Now, the IG Empowerment, uh, Your Tomorrow, which I just mentioned, that's one of the things that you have going on uh, at, uh, at the, the, the overall company. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the overall company to begin with? Sure, that'd be lovely. Appreciate it. So, as you mentioned, uh, IGM Financial uh, is our overarching umbrella brand. But within that, we have two different organizations that we really talk about. One is McKenzie Investments, uh, and the other is IG Wealth Management, formerly known as Investors Group. And IG Wealth Management is the organization that's really focusing on this whole idea of empowering Canadians financial confidence. We've been around for more than 90 years. uh, And in those 90 years, we've been uh, working with Canadians to help build their financial futures and their financial confidence. And and our vision is really about inspiring financial confidence of Canadians. So in 2018, we thought, you know, let's take this overarching vision that we have. Let's build a community program around it. And that's where the IG Empower Your Tomorrow uh, program came from. So as you as you said, David, we we acknowledge that there are there are more vulnerable Canadians out there within within our uh, within the Canadian infrastructure, and we want to help service those. So in at the end of 2020, um, we allow we announced, pardon me, the IG Empower Your Tomorrow Indigenous Commitment, which is a five year five million dollar commitment to helping build and inspire the financial confidence of Indigenous peoples across Canada. So we're really excited by this new program. In terms of financial confidence, you know, that's something we we've, we hear a lot. We've heard a lot about uh, building and wanting, and people do want to have financial confidence. But I, I think, am I wrong to, to think that in some ways just the words financial confidence could be somewhat tentative for people, especially if they haven't looked at their financial situation or they don't feel that they are comfortable looking at it because maybe they're, they don't make a lot of money. And as we know, uh, you know, it, it's harder and harder to, to, uh, to spend. We always hear about costs going up, especially during now COVID-19. We've heard about how that's going to put an extra burden on our food budget, for instance. Financial confidence is a big word in, in so many ways. So how do we break that down for people? 
Yeah, and it's a great point, David. So, I mean, financial confidence can mean different things to different people. So, for example, if we talk about our, our commitment to the Indigenous communities across Canada, um, and, and we work with partners like Prosper Canada, for example, they're looking at the most basic fundamental elements of financial literacy mm. uh, and financial uh, confidence. So, things like having a social insurance number, um, filing your taxes every year. Savings. These are very basic, fundamental building blocks for building financial confidence. So for some, it might be as simple as that. For others, they may be more complex. If you're a high net worth Canadian and you're looking at your financial future, you're thinking, how am I going to have enough money to um, retire and retire comfortably? That's a different level of financial confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, For others, you know, if we're looking at youth, for example, it's a lot about financial literacy. So we know that there's some challenges out there when it comes to youth. Uh, We've been partnering with a group called the Canadian Foundation for Economic Education, or CFI. For more than 20 years, we've been creating a textbook that is for high school level um, kids across Canada. And we've we've been lucky enough to distribute more than half a million of these over the past couple of years to, to high school students because they need help to get to a level where they have financial confidence. So I think, again, it goes back to these building blocks, these fundamentals, uh, and then building on those to get you to a point of financial confidence. So I agree with you. Uh, it can be a little scary, but I think if you concentrate on, on the most basic elements and build from there, that's where your financial confidence really comes into play. You know, savings to tax to um, understanding what a financial plan is and making sure that it's robust and specific to them as individuals. So there's a lot of tools, there's a lot of resources out there. So you have that financial confidence that you're looking for. You know, as you say the word tax there, I'm sure a lot of people go, they cringe when they hear the word tax. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that just like you're, you were saying, that building that financial confidence um, it, it, it is also how you look at things. And what, what I mean by that is you mentioned youth in terms of building uh, just that literacy. And well, we could go down that rabbit hole in terms of, uh, you know, just just what we're we're now hearing about, for instance, in in Ontario, they're going to start implementing the basics so, so that people start learning uh, budgeting and those kind of things, which to me is quite surprising um, that why have we not been doing this forever and ever? I mean, you know, we, we may not need all the the math that we learn at school for our daily lives, but we sure need to know how to budget. We sure need to know how to pay our taxes. We sure need to know um, how to how to work out something, uh, you know, so that we have enough money for food, for rent, for paying our utility bills, for all of those things, and then trying to figure out where we can finally end up with something that we can save, which is where you come in. And and why is it that? We haven't been taught those things. You know, it's really interesting that that's the, a basic that it's like food. You know, we really we deal with money on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back generations, I think uh, talking about money and finances and I think you said it earlier, David, can be scary for some mm. people. Right. It's it's a little um, because they haven't been taught because they haven't learned this throughout their lives. So, I mean, for us, we're super excited to hear that specifically in Ontario. Uh, they're going to be starting at a very early age to start instilling some basic fundamentals of financial education. Uh, and to your point, it's, it sounds like it's budgeting, which is amazing. And, and certainly, as I mentioned, the group that we've been partnering with for more than 20 years, CFI, uh, they've actually been working with the Ontario government to help them build the curriculum uh, for these students to get them to a point where they can understand some of these basic fundamental financial um, financial confidence building blocks. So this work that we've been working with uh, for IG, 
in CP for past 20 years, this, this money and youth textbook that we created is actually going to be, I think, leveraged and used, hopefully, some of the basics from that to instill um, some of that curriculum out there because there's, there's definitely a need for it. There's definitely a want for it. And again, if I go back to my earlier point about the building blocks, understanding basics around things like saving, like budgeting, like taxes, these are basic fundamentals that once you have those and understand them, that will start to build and grow your A, financial literacy, but then B, your financial confidence. And again, there are a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of information out there um, that people can leverage. And, and I, I hope that they do because once you start breaking down the silos uh, and the basics around this, it's really not that difficult. It's really not that scary. Uh, it can actually become very rewarding. Um, and again, that idea of financial confidence grows and builds over time, which again, if I go back to our earlier point with our Indigenous commitment, we know that there's opportunity there to help that group, which is a little bit more vulnerable than the average uh, and earlier this year, we actually did our IG Financial Confidence Index, which told us that the Indigenous community is nine points lower than the overall average Canadian. So we know that there's opportunity. We know that there's help and support needed. So, yeah, those building blocks, as you mentioned, and uh, the basics are, are great for people. There's another element. It's not really part of, of what you do, but I'd like to address this because I think we need to... Um, at least get people thinking about it. Uh, it. It's something that happens in our daily lives, and I'm sure you guys have the question come up to you all the time in 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 a, in a general way, in terms of trying to get people to save money. Because our world, we're bombarded daily with wanting to spend money, spend, buy this, buy that. Right? That's what we're bombarded with. That's much more attractive in terms of ooh, that looks pretty. I can buy that than than trying to say, oh, yeah, I can put some money away. You know what I mean? It's that self uh, or, or that um, uh, instant gratification that we, we like to have as well. Trying to balance that, trying to make people think differently about, you know, about that, about the rewards of saving. Right. I think it comes down to, and you, you said it earlier, is around budgeting. Mm. So how much money do you have coming in every month and how much money do you have going out every month? And when you start with the basics around that, in how much you have coming in and how much is going out and then understanding where it's going and how do you save? How do you plan for the future? What is your short-term plan and what is your long-term plan? And again, going back to the idea of, you know, the education that's out there that's needed. It's, it's exciting to hear that the Ontario government uh, is going to now be um, having a budgeting um, as part of our curriculum for, for elementary school students and high school students. Very exciting. And, and you know, we're, we're very uh, excited to be part of that um, and help with that as well through our work with uh, Money and Youth and CFI. But as you look towards the future, I mean, I think you need to understand the building blocks, understand savings, understand the impact that it has on your future. And, you know, continue to stay invested. That's one of the things I think we've seen over COVID as well. Um, you know, we saw the markets go down. We saw the markets come back up for those that stayed invested and those that planned and continued to push for the future. Uh, they were rewarded. Um, and we've seen this time and time again through history. If you look back 40, 50, 60 years, the markets have gone up. The markets have gone down. But when they've stayed for those that have stayed invested 
those are the folks that have done well in the long term. So I think, you know, that's one of the key things that we definitely instill within our uh, within our consultants, our advisors and within the community. And and so going on with this uh, this booklet that you have that uh, can help with uh, youth in terms of learning their um, their fundamentals, their literacy in terms of that regard. You also say with this IG empowerment, your tomorrow that, uh, and focusing on these these basic four areas, uh, Indigenous people, new Canadian seniors, youth, uh, those four major areas anyway. Uh, you, you're going to be holding events. You're going to be doing programming and those kind of things. How is that going to roll out? Um, you know, you, you said this was a five-year commitment. So how, how do how do you see that rolling out, and, and what are the restrictions that you found in, in possibly uh, doing that at this point in time, given the current situation of COVID? Yeah, I mean, one of the big changes we've seen with COVID is traditionally we would be going and doing live events, mm-hmm. live seminars, live workshops. We would have IG Wealth Management consultants going into local communities and supporting those, either those that are vulnerable, like Indigenous peoples like seniors or newcomers. Um, and, and what we've seen, the change is that we can actually do these virtually now. So the big shift, I think, has been from in-person to virtual. And where in the past we may have done 40 or 50 people, say at a community center or at one of our IG Wealth Management offices, now we can do hundreds, even thousands of people virtually. So, you know, one of the one of the positives that's come out of what we've been experiencing over the past eight to 10 months, I guess now, is that, you know, we've been able to impact more people um, through these virtual. So whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's on Zoom or Teams or what have you, um, we've been able to impact and help uh, larger groups um, versus smaller groups. So it's a little bit different. It's not as, um, you know, personalized necessarily as it has been in the past, but the ability to impact and help has grown exponentially. So again, whether some of some of our partners like a Prosper Canada or the CFE or, or others that have been doing 40 or 50 people now are able to impact and help hundreds of people at a time. So that's exciting for us. And I think it's going to have a real positive impact on those on those vulnerable within the community that IG Empowery Tomorrow was built for. Um, so we're very excited by that. All right. And and so uh, you said this booklet uh, that you've put together, you, you say how many? We're about 20,000? 20, 20, oh, yeah, it's it's a textbook. So yeah. if I'm talking about money and youth specifically, it is a textbook that we've created. Right. Um, and we've um, helped and supported more than half a million Canadian high school students already. And that's in the and that's in the hard copy. We have an actual hard copy textbook, but we also have an online version as well. So uh, moneyandyouth.ca is the website. You can okay. go there to learn more. Uh, and there you have, there's, there's um, blocks, there's learning blocks there for high school students. There's also for their parents. There's also for teachers. So it's not just for those high school students. It's also for their support as well, their support groups like teachers and, and, and parents as well. Um, so they can get help and support and understand what their kids need to learn and how. So very exciting for us to be, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, work with Canadians um, at, at all different levels and help them uh, as they build out their financial confidence. And when did this roll out? A couple of years ago? This new part that we've launched yes. is the, our Indigenous commitment. That's the new one okay. that we just launched, which is starting in 2021, which is ah. specific to Indigenous communities to start in Ontario and in Manitoba. And then over the course of the next couple of years, once we've uh, built that pilot up, we're going to expand that across Canada. No, I, I know you worked on an, an index uh, from from this, and you found that about fifty percent of the people 
uh, say they, they feel they haven't uh, tried enough or uh, to manage their finances. And, uh, and about 35% say they, they even avoid thinking about finances. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't think we're surprised by any of these results. And right. again, this is the, the IG confidence index is something mm. we've been doing for three years now. Right. So we just finished our third year. Okay. Um, interestingly, uh, the score, the average score went up for Canadians. So it actually went up from 56 to 60 mm. over the past year. Um, and from that, definitely different results. Um, we're excited to see that financial confidence of Canadians overall has gone up. But again, there's certain areas where there's definitely opportunity um, for us to help and support. And that's why we've created this overarching program. Again, we saw Indigenous communities, for example, were nine points low. So there are vulnerable groups within the Canadian landscape that definitely need more help, more support. Um, But yeah, I mean, again, going back to your earlier point about historically, this maybe hasn't been something that people have talked enough about. We're trying to change that. We're trying to open up the dialogue, open up the conversation, offer workshops, seminars, different things for different vulnerable groups to help them to break down those barriers and to ensure that over the course of, of the next, you know, let's say five years, we can move that confidence index even higher for Canadians mm. by offering them the help and support that they need. And again, we've got this program and thousands of financial advisors, financial consultants across Canada that can help and support at any level, whether it is those basic elements where you're just learning about things like savings, mm. like budgeting, like taxes, all the way up to um, those high net worth Canadians that have, may have more sophisticated needs to ensure their financial confidence. We're, we're building this system so we can help at every level, which again is, is definitely needed within the Canadian landscape. Right. Uh, uh, just going back to what we were talking about, and you, you mentioned Ipsos and uh, 2017, understanding Canadian studies showed that 55% of Canadians believe they will be worse off than previous generations when it comes to having enough money to live well. And I guess that ties into even retiring and having enough money for retirement. So if the, if the aging population doesn't feel confident about, uh, about that, about retiring with enough funds, what can they do uh, in terms of, you know, their future? I think they can educate themselves. I think they can get in touch with a financial planner. They can understand their options. They can understand uh, what's available to them. And they need to create a plan. You need a plan for the future. Uh, you need a plan both short-term and long-term. And, and you, you need to work with those that can help and support you. Um, there's no expectation all the answers. Um, we're busy. We've got a lot going on in our lives. So how best to help leverage that, uh, those expertise that you may have, or some of those areas where you need help and support is get professional help, get a financial planner. Uh, you know, IG wealth management consultants are available. We've got thousands of them across Canada and communities across Canada, and they can help and support you no matter what level you're at, no matter what your income is, no matter where you are within your um, planning and saving cycle, they can help you. So that, that's my big recommendation for anyone out there is to, is to seek out and get professional help and ask a lot of really uh, smart questions. Ask folks for what you're looking for. Ask them for uh, what the opportunities are um, because it's not just about putting money in the bank or it's not just about investing in the stock market. It is, it is so much more than that. It's, you know, estate planning. It is understanding taxation. It's all these different things that add up and, and build into your uh, financial confidence and financial well-being. So ask a lot of different questions and, and smart questions. Uh, and if you don't have them, go online. We can, we can help you. We can give you the basics that you're looking for to understand what the possibilities are and how to help both you and the next generation.
So you mentioned a couple of things there about asking smart questions uh, and educating yourself. So if, if I would say that for those people that are are tenuous about uh, even picking up the, the the phone to call a financial advisor, because maybe they they don't feel even confident enough to know what to ask, uh, what would you say to them in that regard? Is there a dumb question? Is there ever a dumb question? <laughs> I don't think there's ever a dumb question when it comes to your finances. I think just understanding what's available to you, you know, what your future looks like. How are you trying to help your kids or how are you trying to work with aging uh, parents? All those kind of things that we're all dealing with right now. Mm. Um, it gives you um, the information that you need uh, to feel more confident in your, in your financial future. How, how would you say, you, you mentioned families and youth and, and parents uh, all sort of learning from this. Uh, how advisable would you say it is for families to discuss their, their uh, finances, uh, for parents to start teaching their kids and for, for kids to start taking an interest in their, in their finances and their parents' uh, financial, financial uh, picture so that they can start learning this process? But also, I guess, just sitting down and working that out together so they can all start planning for the future. Yeah, I think it's super important. And I think, you know, um, right from the get-go, you, you mentioned that this is something that maybe uh, we didn't have in the past. So hence why IG Wealth Management is trying to change things and, and make things better for the future. And the fact that, you know, uh, um, the Ontario government has recognized that this is something that's missing from the curriculum and is updating the curriculum to reflect that is super important, super helpful. And it just shines a light on the possibilities. So I think sitting down with your, with your family and understanding the basics is helpful. Um, again, I think there's an apprehension because not everyone has that financial education, that financial literacy that they want. So again, lots of online resources. I go back to talking about money and youth, this textbook that we created. Um, not only is it for, uh, you know, for those grade nine, grade 10, grade 11 students here in Canada, it's also for their parents to understand what the opportunities are and, and educate themselves. And again, financial planning experts, financial consultants, super helpful, super knowledgeable, um, anyone worth their weight will actually give you their time for free solutions and opportunities for right. you without signing anything, without mm. giving any money over. They'll just simply walk you through some of the basics and give you education on what's available to you. So I would highly recommend that anyone that's interested, um, try that, go down that path. Mm. Um, and it will definitely help you um, have those conversations, open up those different areas uh, that you may be uh, not um, familiar with or not able to talk to your family about and give you opportunities and give you a different way to have a conversation, which is super important. Uh, a couple of things just before we finish up. You know, I can't, couldn't help, help but think about the trust element that you need to have in, in someone. And, and I'm glad you mentioned about how, you know, go and find out if, if someone shouldn't be charging you, they'll be glad glad to share this information and help you out for free shouldn't be costing you anything and that's one way of sort of building that trust element that you want to have with a financial advisor for sure because it is someone if you're going to build up that long-term relationship with them then you want to be able to have that uh, that trust element and know they've got your back right absolutely i mean i would talk to your family i would talk to your friends say is there someone you're working with is there someone that you've been happy with is there someone that's helped you um achieve a level of financial confidence that maybe you didn't have in the past I think that first and foremost can definitely help um, in ensuring that you have that confidence in the person. And again, just understand their expertise. If all they want to do is take your money and invest it in stocks or the stock market, then that's probably not what you're looking for. You really need a holistic financial plan, something that encapsulates your entire life and helps you with everything from taxes to estate planning to transfer of wealth, all these things that become more and more 
um, important, especially as your family grows and evolves. So have those conversations, understand what your options are. Um, if you're not feeling comfortable, if it's not what you're looking for, then I would go there and try to find someone else that can help you because there definitely are some fantastic people out there doing some really good work um, that can help you plan for the future and make you feel more financially confident, which is what we're all about. Right. Court, the last thing I want to ask you about, if I can, if, if we can answer this quickly, maybe, uh, is change and how things have changed over time. You know, the internet influenced so many things. It, it, it puts the world at our fingertips in so many ways and uh, people you know, sometimes turn to the internet to find those answers uh, that they can find. But there's so much, you know, so many uh, opinions on so many things out there. So how do people sift through those kind of things? And what have you found in terms of how either the internet or things have changed in the last little while for your industry? I think, you know, first and foremost, you need to go to a reputable organization. So look at who has been around for um, quite a while uh, and look at the expertise that they bring to the table. You know, I'll use IG Wealth Management as an example. We've been around for more than 90 years. We have more than a million clients across Canada. Um, We've built up a reputation um, over the past, you know, almost 100 years so that people know who we are and what we do. Um, There are a lot of um, others within uh, (laughs) the internet and online that you probably want to be careful about and so i would definitely uh make sure that you get the information from a reputable source and second is have a conversation with a person it's great to go online there's absolutely information you can find but if you're starting to think about planning if you're starting to think about building your financial future and you want to instill a financial confidence um i would either pick up the phone or email or do some sort of video chat with uh, an actual person and i think that will help instill that confidence and sure you're getting your information from a reputable source. Um, I would also educate yourself through some media. Like obviously there are fantastic radio shows out there. Uh, There's newspapers still uh, there's online, whether it's say the globe and mail or the national post, Toronto star, et cetera. There are, there are still very great reputable um, publications out there and, and media that do a really good job. Um, So I would look to those as well and, uh, and leverage those where you can, because they, they still help uh, instill, I think the confidence that, you know, these are reputable uh, organizations and the information you're getting is also reputable. Right. Okay. We'll have to leave it there. Court, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the show and share uh, what IG is doing uh, and, and uh, the good uh, work that you're doing in trying to get uh, people educated in terms of their financial uh, uh, dealings, uh, both at a very basic level as well as with the textbooks that you have and you say you've helped over uh, half a million uh, youth uh, I guess out there with this over the last 20 years that's fabulous and we need more of that everybody needs to be financially literate and uh, be able to uh, you know budget properly plan for their future put some money aside for those emergencies as well as for their long time uh, future retirement as well and uh, so we want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the show Great. Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. You bet. Take care. That's Court Elliott. He is the VP of Corporate Communications, Sponsorship and Community Engagement at IGM Financial. And we've been talking to him about uh, some of the things that they have going on. And of course, the new endeavor that they have uh, coming up starting in 2021. That is specifically dealing and looking at uh, helping Indigenous people uh, become more educated in the area of their finances. As they, as he mentioned, uh, they have found uh, with a survey they did that there's a drop of about 9% uh, 
uh, in terms of the literacy, uh, uh, financial literacy between the general population and the indigenous population. So there's areas for uh, uh, where people can learn in that area. But Everybody can learn more about their finances all the time. So you can go out uh, and check them out online, and you can find out more at moneyandyouth.com as well as ig.ca. That's this part of the program. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can also listen on your favorite podcast a streaming site as well. All right, welcome to the show, Josh Nielsen. He's the CEO of East Side Games in Vancouver. He's here to talk about the fact that not too many Indigenous people are in the tech industry. And in fact, there's been some uh, a little bit of a, a survey that was taken out of about 134 tech companies in British Columbia, and they found only 0.5% of the employees identified as Indigenous. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Eastside Games in Vancouver, what can you tell us about your, your business itself? What is Eastside Games? Yeah, so we're a mobile and technology company based out of uh, Vancouver, BC. But, you know, now with the pandemic, we have people working all across Canada because we don't uh, work in an office anymore. Right. We've been in the uh, game space for about 10 years and we make mobile games. Uh, Some of our biggest games are uh, Trailer Park Boys, Greasy Mm. Money, Mm. uh, which is a very Canadian title, uh, Archer Danger Phone, Mm. uh, and... It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, official game. We have uh, many other titles in the works as well. Well, congratulations to your success. What made you think about uh, looking at this, or, or were you one of the companies that was approached and, and that is where this was triggered from the idea to, to talk about this? Yeah, so uh, we were one of the companies that was uh, surveyed and, you know, like most uh Tech companies were uh, on various tech communities here. And uh, when the survey came out, I was more shocked than anything uh, about where we're at. Mm. Um, It was uh, something we've been working on throughout the year in BC. And so to see less than 1% uh, is just not great. I'm Métis myself. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to, for this issue, just start with back to square one, which is just talking about it. Cause I think if we don't start talking about uh, diversity and inclusion and for companies to have this as a plan of action, this isn't going to get better. Right. You know, I have to tell you that I'm a little surprised and, and why am I a little surprised to hear about this, that, that there are, are fewer than, you know, 0.5% in the BC area identifying as indigenous working in your industry is because it's such a visual uh, you know, a sort of game thing, like you were saying, and and it, it, the visuals, and we know how many indigenous people uh, have a great talent for for drawing, for painting, for all of that kind of creative stuff. Um, so that surprises me to some degree. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, and I I think you know especially in BC, uh, it's it's kind of part of our our the narrative is it is part of our culture here in mm. BC. If you look at all of the uh, you know the uh, art that we use for uh, our statements when you yeah. enter into yeah. uh, you know our airport yeah. uh, to our hockey team, yeah. it seems to be totally uh, something that uh, we hear each and every time somebody speaks when they give a land acknowledgement for unceded land. Mm. Uh, but now we really want to do something about it. And I, I think it's going to require more than just at this point, uh, people reading an article and glossing over it. It's going to uh, be work on companies parts to actually step up and figure out what are the small steps that you can do to start talking about this problem and to, uh, you know, we, we look at, um, all of the First Nations people that live in BC, but also for Métis people, there's almost 100,000 people that are registered Métis right. Nation in British Columbia and even more of that. Um, but for some reason for tech, we have such a low amount, but we know in other industries, um, that's not the case. So what's wrong with tech? Mm. That's interesting. You say yourself that you sort of stumbled into this because you you took a, a website making course at Capilano College, and and that sort of got your your sort of interest in it or, or opened up the door for you a little bit. Um, when you were there, were were you aware of other Indigenous students studying in that area? Yeah, I, that's where I would say I first realized that uh, maybe there's an issue. I mean, we're talking about, um, I'm pretty old, so about 20 years ago. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I come from uh, northern BC. So I come from a small town mm. outside of Prince George in northern BC that's uh -huh. about 100 people. Okay. And um, I would say the first barrier is, uh, well, the, the two big barriers, one of them is um, education is a luxury. And when I grew up, that wasn't really something that was presented to me coming from mm. uh, blue collar working class parents. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, uh, there's some great jobs up North, but they're all, a lot of them are resource based or a lot of right. them are don't, don't go through the college route. Um, right. and then secondly, it's just people talking about, you can do this, uh, job. I mean, uh, I never really, I guess it's the way I was raised with, uh, um, my mom's, my mom and grandma are Métis and it was always just put your head down and work hard and don't really talk about what you do. And so talking about the stuff's a little bit uncomfortable for me, but also, uh, I think it's an important story that you can come from non-educated background. It's a lot harder, but you can put in the hard work and you can make it And startups and tech are a great, I think it's the next big blue collar opportunity for people to right. work in. Um, right. I'm CEO of one of, we feel Canada's most successful bootstrapped mm -hmm. game companies. Uh, we have a team of over uh, 150 people and still mm -hmm. growing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was able to do this. So maybe some kid up North can, can look at the guy in the hoodie and say, I could totally be better than that guy, and they're they're absolutely right. right. You could be. You could do this. Right, that's uh, great. Um, you know, when you are are talking there, a couple of things were running through my mind about maybe what needs to be done to 
to help in this area? Uh, I'm thinking awareness, building awareness, because it sounds like that's one of the things you, you could have used, uh, you know, growing up in your community about the awareness of, of the opportunities. Um, how maybe educational institutions uh, maybe need to do more reaching out in that way as well. Uh, so schools um, and, and then businesses, like you said, yourself and other businesses that need to start uh, looking at ways that they can start uh, also increasing awareness and, and uh, I don't know, possibly making opportunities for for Indigenous uh, employees to be attracted to come in. I know that, that that's one of the things you're thinking about is, is what needs to be done and maybe we can explore that a little bit in a minute. What do you think the role is of, of maybe government or or communities yeah for sure i think connection is the number one thing so being able to get that message out and to connect um with youth and then with retraining um you know when i was in grade 12 i still didn't know what i wanted to do Mm. um my grandpa said i'm not allowed to i was never allowed to work at the mill and if i didn't work at the mill he would uh get a car for me so I got a crappy thousand dollar car for agreeing not to work at the mill. And it was broke my heart because the mill was the good job, but maybe he saw something mm. uh, that maybe I shouldn't do that. And I didn't really feel like going to school mm. and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. And then a guy that was from my town said uh, he took a course at the community college and he was a chef. So that's when I started working in restaurants mm-hmm. and uh, pursuing a culinary career. Uh, for a long time just because I saw somebody that said, Hey, I totally can do it. You can do it. And I think that's as simple as it, as it gets is uh, government and industry needs to set up some programs to connect, Mm -hmm. to just talk about, look, I do this. You can do this too. The one thing that the government really needs to do is provide infrastructure. I strongly believe, um, Technology can help break down some of the systemic racism that we see today um, that um, is harder for some applicants to get in the door. And um, that might just be uh, being able to travel to go and apply for mm. for jobs to, you know, uh, being able to uh, fit into the business environment. The one thing that everyone working remotely, and we're going to be working remotely yeah. for a while, and some companies yeah. are going to remain remotely, As is that, we yeah. need stable internet and we need good technology. Companies can help provide with good technology because usually you get technology provided to you when you start a new job. Right. But that stable internet is key. And I love seeing all the infrastructure stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. We need to continue to push uh, local, uh, provincial and federal governments to provide that those stable internet connections because the technology is there all over the world. And I think once we, once we can get more of that in Canada, that can really be a boom to uh, sort of this, this, this big upswing in the technology uh, boom that we're having in Canada right now. Well, you mentioned stable internet, and of course we know that, that the federal government is is making a promise to implement uh, better internet uh, for a major part of the of the country. Let's hope that they follow through on that and are able to establish that. Uh, it certainly would help. Now, you, you mentioned, also mentioned working remotely, which uh, I understand from what you said off the top, you have uh, employees right across the country at this point because you are working remotely, and that many companies will probably... Uh, potentially end up working remotely in the future uh, that sounds to me like something that might be attractive for some indigenous 
students because one of the things I know that uh, in my own community that that uh, people like is being able to stay in their own community and not having to leave. Do you think that would help? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's going to be a big, I think what we're going to see is a, is a really exciting mixture. It doesn't have to be right. just work remote or just right. work in an office. It's going to be uh, a mixture of that. And, you know, that's also a challenge as well, because if you've never worked in an office mm. and you have to uh, learn sort of office culture, but from your own um, house, uh, that can, that can be a challenge as well. So that's something, uh, companies need to step up and, uh, figure out. And that's kind of goes into, um, what can companies do? And, and this is the message I'm trying to get out to other, uh, CEO founders, um, people to go to their, uh, HR strategy, hmm. um, uh, people in their organization, and just start talking about it. You know, the one thing we really need to build right off the bat and what we still have so much work to do at Eastside Games, but we, I think we did a lot over the last year when we decided this was a problem that we needed to really work on is we have to make sure that your culture is supportive of uh, Indigenous people. And it's more than just saying that. It's the little things that you do. It mm-hmm. starts with education. Mm-hmm. It starts with um uh, having a safe space to ask questions so people can learn about these things. Cause a lot of times people are learning, uh, people are learning about this from popular culture, from TV, from the news. Um, they're, they're maybe not getting across what you can and can't say or where those lines are. And then, you know, every individual is different as well. There's not one rule book where you can't just go to indigenous.com, look it up and say, okay, well, here's the rule book. This is now it's, it's an ongoing learning process. It's, it, it, it's going to take time. Um, And from your leadership down, you have to show an example. I mean, in BC, uh, orange shirt day is huge here. Mm. Uh, All the kids, all my, uh, all the kids going to school wear them. Mm. None of their adults, uh, mm. none of their mm. parents, none mm. of the people uh, leading companies are wearing orange shirts. That's mm. you should print off some orange shirts and educate people about right. what's happening. If if you're celebrating, you know the simple steps that we started taking was educate people on what could be, um, which is uh, might be different to you, but. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. One of them is you should be, if you're celebrating Canada day at your organization, that's great. You should celebrate Canada day and have something. You should also be making sure you're celebrating uh, national indigenous people's day. Mm-hmm. And you should make sure you're, you're educating people on that. Uh, we also recognize uh, Louis Real day. Yep. Uh, and we, we talk about that. And right. uh, what we found is, is for the, there's more interest and learning and a space, a space to ask questions versus before when um, we just wouldn't talk about those things. So right. these are the very small steps you have to do first. Um, when we had a physical office, um, we uh, had an incredible uh, artist come in and do a whole wall painting. Uh, JP Langlois, he did this great painting, a uh, uh, Métis artist, uh, and mural and uh it was a point where people would talk about it and um as small as a gesture that is it brought more people to come forward and say mm-hmm. hey um i'm Métis as well and um kind of talk about that so mm-hmm. it's making those spaces that are comfortable and that are the first step i think in learning 
that this is going to be what we're going to have to do to hit 1% and 2% right. and not hit 0%. Right. I think there's a genuine interest to improve this and that's positive. Mm. I think uh, everyone is hesitant about making the first step. They're not sure where to go. And I think there's a fine line and I can see that. Um, I can see that, you know, I guess being Métis means in my own family, I see the the two or three different sides that I have for um, for uh, cultural background. So mm. I can see where they're coming from. And I think there's a positive idea push forward, but there's also a caution because people don't want to step over the line right away. And what I say to them is you can always reach out to me mm-hmm. and it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to not know what the right step is as long as your intentions are good and you're moving forward. And there's mm-hmm. lots of resources for you to figure that out. And it starts with asking questions, right? Maybe bring in somebody to that you can, that can facilitate and start asking those questions. Right. And, um, but what's not okay is not doing anything, not doing anything means no progress and no change. Josh, well, I'll have to leave it there, but it's been great speaking with you. And, and it would be nice to be able to continue this conversation at a later date when we see, uh, you know, the kind of efforts that you're making and the kind of things that you're moving forward uh, is making an impact. It would be really nice to follow up with you. I'd love to have that conversation. I'm going to keep working hard at this. So yeah. if anyone out there wants to reach out to me, I'm on all the socials. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Josh Nielsen. He is the CEO of East Side Games in Vancouver, and we've been talking to him about the need for more Indigenous talent in the tech industry, and that is something that he became aware of once he was part of a surveyed company of 134 companies in B.C. that found out only 0.5% of employees self-identified as Indigenous. And we would definitely like to follow up with him on this story later on to see how the efforts are going, and we'll do what we can to help uh, promote that idea as well and as you heard Josh said if you want to get a hold of him you can reach out he's there on all the social uh, social platforms Josh Nielsen N-I-L-S-O-N that's this part of the program don't go away we're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses Element 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 FM Hey, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show. She hasn't been on the show for quite some time. And it is Hadriana Leo. And you may recognize that name. She, As I say, she's been on uh, before, but it's been a while. Now, Hadriana has uh, her own business. She's an entrepreneur. And uh, she is a personal finance coach. So, Hadriana, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, David. I'm always so happy to sit and speak with you and, uh, and your audience. You know, it's been a while since we actually did speak, and since that time, so much has changed. <laughs> the world has turned upside down, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and, you know, just before you, you were coming on the show, I was thinking about, hmm, I mean, look yeah. at all the money that is being poured into businesses and, and, and everyone from government to help us get through this situation. We all know about that, mm-hmm. but then we have the lockdowns and we have all this other stuff going on because of COVID-19. And that's why I was going, that's why I was thinking about the fitness and, and, and finance uh, approach, mm-hmm. because I thought, 
Okay, so a couple of things. One, I'm, I don't have to do all the commuting I, commuting I was doing before, I, I, you know. Right. And I should have more time to be able to spend time on fitness, right? I should. Yes. But I'm not. In theory. Yes, exactly, In right? Theory. And I'm going, and I was thinking the same thing about finances. I'm not doing, I'm not doing the traveling. I'm because, not doing the commuting. I should have yeah. more money. And so there's that. Am I right? Is there some sort of a relationship there? Well, they're, they, they, I think they face similar constraints to actually realizing your goals, mm. both fitness and finances. I think in both instances, mm. we know that we need to live healthy lives and we know that we need to have healthy finances. Mm. In both instances, we get a lot of uh, knowledge thrown at us as mm. to what we should be doing. Right. But also in both instances, there seems to be an unspoken sabotage happening that we <laughs> sometimes feel outside our control to, mm. to fix or correct. There's there's someone tr- struggling. There's a power struggle uh, within us and sometimes outside of us as well that, mm. that almost conspires <laughs> to, to turn things upside down, both in our fitness and in our finances. Mm. But I think what what we see happening is whatever we have been doing, we keep doing and trying to change something. It's not the change or the willingness to change, the motivation to change. It's not a logical thing. Mm. Whereas being fit or if we were to try losing weight, it's simple consume less calories than you expend. Mm. Simple, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Same with money. That's right. Spend less That's than you earn. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. See, I knew there was a relationship right? there. <laughs> right. But it's, um, we're, we're, we're looking at that logically. Mm. However, the actual application of that it you have a whole lot of factors that come together and and kind of it works against you to some degree so it's interesting how that plays out um but it's not impossible Hmm. to actually find success in both your fitness and your finances if Hmm. if we kind of tweak our approach to some degree okay and so what what have you found over there since COVID has has landed and has you know impacted our lives from the mm-hmm. clients that you've been dealing with and in, perhaps in your own personal life? What have you been finding then? So what I'm finding is, in in all honesty, David, there not much has changed. I think situations have been exacerbated, Mm. but the the ones of us who have struggled financially, we continue to struggle financially. Mm. And those of us who have thrived, we seem to continue thriving. Mm. Or at least if, if we're not thriving to the degree that we were before, we have things in place that allow us to maintain right. uh, and keep up right, right with where we were pre-pandemic. Right. Um, what I've seen to work is, you know, step outside of the logic, step outside of the logic and understand that the change that you desire, you need to look inside to do it. You need to look internally to find the wherewithal, to find that motivation for you to do it. So, when I work with clients, we don't even start talking about numbers until mm-hmm. we're a good ways into the, the, the programming. You need to, first of all, uh, now I'll say this. If you don't believe you can change your financial situation, I can give you all the support, all the resources you want. It will not change. 
if it changes, it might be superficial and you will revert because we know what we know and we're comfortable with what we know. We, we know how to manage with not enough money. Having more money is actually quite scary to a lot of people. They don't know how to manage it and they default to what mm. they are used to, what they're comfortable with. The pandemic has really shown us that, you know, there are things outside of our control that we can't do anything about. However, how we approach it, how we anticipate, because a lot of what's happening now is reactionary, right? Mm. A lot of what's happening now is showing kind of the holes and the, the, the places where we had weak links in mm -hmm. our finances and in our fitness too, because like, I mean, the <laughs> right. gyms are closed, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Some of us were gym junkies. If, mm. if, if the gym is open, we go. Gym is closed. Now what? Right. 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 Um, so there, there are things we can certainly do when we, when we look within ourselves for the resources, because I don't believe the government is going to be able to fix this with no matter how much money they throw our way, right. not to mention we're going to have to pay it all back. I'm sorry, sorry, but we have to. Yeah, yeah, it, that's going to happen at some point in the future. Uh, Adriana, I, I do appreciate exactly what you were just saying about the mindset. Um, if mm -hmm. you don't put yourself in the right mindset to begin with it, just like you were saying before you even uh, with your clients before you even get to the point of talking about numbers you you have to see where they where the person is uh coming into this from a mental perspective and you have to get them to the point of where they're willing to accept and make some changes and 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 understand what is necessary in order to move forward yes Correct, correct, correct. Absolutely. And I, I, I operate in the realm where my clients appreciate that what they want to do is possible. And I help move that from possible to highly probable. Mm. Because I cannot make something you perceive to be impossible possible for right. you. That that I cannot do. Yeah. But when when I've had clients come to me through this pandemic, they they've come and they've said, you know what, my debt cannot continue the way it is. Mm. And and I have to say this: not all families are struggling financially through yes. the pandemic. Right. Uh, but I think the pandemic has brought to light. Like I said, certain leaks, certain weak links yeah. in their plan. So you, you can come to me and say, I need to get my debt under control. But when you're saying things like, I'll never pay this off, mm. I need you to move from I'll never pay this off to this is a challenge to pay off, but mm. I know it can be done. I need you to show me how. Right. That's a different conversation. So the pandemic is bringing a lot of things to light, mm -hmm. but we need to understand and appreciate that for the most part, it is just highlighting what already existed. And now we have a decision to make with what we do from here. Mm. So, Hadriana, from what you're just saying there, I find it really interesting. What would you say going forward from this situation, once we're out of the pandemic and we start to get back to whatever normalcy will look like, uh, our finances are one of those things we're going to have to deal with anyway, At you know, always. Yes. And what would you say you are seeing at this point that that might be one of those things that people or we're going to start changing or implementing is there something you you've seen there that moving forward 
Well, I've seen a lot of people talking about how they've realized they can live off of a lot less than mm. they were living off of before. Mm. Uh, whether it is that they are spending less or they just cannot spend, because that's the other thing. That there are some things mm. we want to get, right. and we have we may have the money. We it's just not available, and right. we <laughs> learn to do without it. Um, so I think a lot of people are looking at what their lifestyles were like or what our lifestyles are like through this pandemic and taking note of the things that we were able to live without mm. happily without mm. um, and how it did not constrain our life experience we were still able to do the things we wanted to do without that one or two things um, that we would otherwise have spent money on I mm. think we're, we're seeing a, a big move to more working at home how can we redirect the commute dollars mm. um towards things that will actually enrich our life experiences in a deliberate way right and i think that's one thing we have to take a look at the pandemic has thrown us into a bit of a tailspin but how can we take what has come out of it and be deliberate so we need to take a look what can we do without do we want to continue doing without it? And how can we be deliberate in reallocating, repurposing those financial resources to things that now we're going to choose to, to create or choose to spend money on or, or choose to, to make our experience? That is and always has been within our control. Right. We're going to have to end the conversation at that point. But listen, I think this is something that you should come back on the show. I am certainly inclined to do so. I'm happy to do that, David. You know, we could talk and talk and talk. <laughs> I <do. laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> All right, Adriana, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Really, uh, thank you. And so nice to hear your voice. It's been a while since we've had a chance to speak. And uh, if people want to find out more or reach out to you, they can get a hold of you at your website at hadrianaleo.com. That is H-A-D-R-I-A-N-A-L-E-O.com. That's it. And that is this part of the program here on Moment of Truth. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.